Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Chronicles, with chapter 26. If you want to read along with me, let's begin the first one and see what one understanding we can find. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. So as always, forgive me if I mispronounce any of these um, names or whatnot. But um, the thing to notice about them, that you know, stands out about them, are they're the kings of the kingdom of Judah. And um, their names, the ayah at the end of them, like I mentioned before, is sort of a shout out to God of parents naming their kids with God in their name. The same way some people in modern times, especially for some reason black people, I guess because they're wrapped up in, in evangelicalism, they name their kids things like Zion and Israel, even though they're black. I mean, which originally, the original Israelites were probably black people, dark-skinned people. They were living in the Middle East and uh, very much for 400 plus years in Africa. So it's almost certain that the people who originally were there were um, the original Israelites were dark-skinned people. And um, even though that's not how you think of Jews in modern times, Jewish people in modern times, because people relate Judaism to the nation, the country Israel, because that's what's mentioned in the Bible, but they forget, even the people who thump their Bibles, they forget that the Bible says that the people who are there now, the descendants of the original patriarchs, who have through the diaspora of them being enslaved, the same way black people were enslaved in America uh, for so many years and still have suffer from even now, uh, the Jewish people went through the same thing. For almost 400, 420 years, I think we went out when we were reading it, it was that they went through the exact same thing. So they understand how it is, too. We're not alone there. We're alone in the fact that we haven't gotten reparations yet, but God willing, that will change. Once I think people who are in power, like um, uh, people who are righteous, white people who are righteous. Because white supremacy isn't about all white people because there's plenty of people who aren't white who are white supremacists, like we mentioned before. Um, so a lot of white people aren't evil like that. So once enough white people who have righteousness in them decide that reparations are something are, that are biblical, which we read about, there's something that are legal, which we um, know through history, and they're just something that haven't been paid, then maybe things will change because then there'll be that burden, at least a part of it, people still discriminate against black people just because we're dark-skinned um, for whatever reason <laughs> because those same people of those same people chase us it's so crazy but uh, sorry let's keep it moving we're talking about the Israelites the kingdom of Judah and the people who descended from them and what their and their names is what got me distracted the name the Yah at the end of it the Ayah at the Uzziah and so forth are um, sort of like the parents shout out to God by putting the name Yah and the and, uh, shout out to a nod to uh, God because the biblical name of God is however you want to pronounce it um, the Y H B H O Y H W H um, Tetra Malin, something or other the four letters um, so it's their way of doing that same thing um, so these are some of the descendants of King David and Solomon. Verse 2, he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. So these are some of the accomplishments of his tenure as king. 
verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jephaliah of Jerusalem. So once again, we see children running kingdoms, just like the prophecy said, not in reference to what's happened in modern times, like we talked about, like the other preachers will try to project onto. Um, that's not children's thinking, that's greed and corruption. That's why the politicians do and don't do the things that they do and don't do in modern times. Uh, not just in America, but around the world, because there's corruption. As Proverbs says, and it's not red letters, because of corruption, there's what swept away. There's, and it's, it's a shame. It's the reality. Verse, oh, oops, speaking up. Verse, we'll mention that at the end. Try to remember when I mentioned that. Verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Um, we read that one. Another child on the throne. That shows you a, it's a fulfillment of those prophecies that children would be in power. Um, they'd have children reigning over them. Um, but it's also a statement of the people. Um, the fact that that's who's, who they're going to have run over them. What kind of wise decisions are you going to get when you've got children on the throne? They're probably not going to be interested in things like world affairs and personal security of the citizens. That's not on their minds, generally speaking. Um, although there are prophecies that say in the end times, um, and when they say end times, I think it means end times for a specific generation, not necessarily end of the entire existence of everything times, because remember, God loves the world, <laughs> that he gave his own son. So um, not the people that he loved, it's the world that God loves. So why would God be in a hurry to destroy the world? Might be in a hurry to get rid of the people in the world. But I don't believe necessarily the world itself is in any danger of going anywhere anytime soon. I could be wrong. Um, but maybe the world as we know it, when they say end times, is what it refers to again and again when we read about it in the Bible. And it does turn out to be the end times for each of the people who, when the prophecies come true, as we've read. Um, so this king is 16 years old. What's he do? Verse 4. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So according to the narrator, this king, the youngin, did a good job. You know, he's only 16 and says that he'd done good things just like his forefather Amaziah had done. Verse 5. Excuse me. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So um, among the things that he did when he was in power, he's been credited for being religious. Well, I would guess the according to the narrator, righteous. Because religion and righteousness are two different things. You can religiously do anything like going golfing or naps, taking naps in the afternoon. Um, you can do any of those things religiously. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your love of God or seeking God. Um, but righteousness does. Doing the right thing, saying the right things, and being <laughs> righteous in the way things you do and say, that's all of the story. Um, so um, here, let's see, how is he so righteous in other ways? Verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So according to the narrator, who's unnamed, again, it's Second Chronicles, so it's not like you know who wrote it. 
I don't know who wrote it, I'll just say that. Um, they're saying that in their estimation, uh, he was a good king and he was religious. He did um, things to please God and God blessed him. Verse 6, now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. So some of the things he did, he conquered other places, because we know about Philistines, we've read about them before, they're the, um, biblically they're known as giants, like um, uh, Goliath and so forth, um, from Gath and that, and some of his even relatives, uh, the Bible is full of stories of the existence of giants throughout um, biblical history, even before the flood and even after the flood and no shortage of them even so it doesn't really make sense that the flood was to destroy all the giants and yet there were still giants existing it just doesn't really make sense even though that's what it says uh, unless it destroys them all and the ability for the same thing to happen again still existed where according to the bible people who came down from heaven in modern times, they can call them angels, but it doesn't necessarily mean in the grand scheme of things, it's angels. The universe is billions of years old, according to science. So in that time, it's possible that people understand, uh, and even Jesus talks about, and I know this sounds crazy, but time travel, where people have moved through time and um, existed throughout time past and even time to come. And Jesus even talks about people like that, that there are some who won't taste death till he, that who existed almost 2,000 years ago. This is according to Jesus. So if you're a Christian, it's the truth because Jesus said it. Not just because it's in the Bible, but Jesus himself said it. It's red letters, but that there are people who are standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of, of God coming in his power. And we know that that's not just talking about the fact that he was resurrected because plenty of people saw that. Uh, back then, but Jesus clearly was talking about that either someone understood, understood or used time travel and existed way back then and still exists even now or will exist. Maybe they existed then and moved through time and exist even at the end of when they exist. God only knows. But um, the giants thing, clearly there were more giants because all of those people um, from uh, the Philistines were giants. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel, and against the Mayanites. Um, so narrated here, saying that God was on his side because he was faithful to God in helping him reward with those different places. Verse 8, also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the interest of Egypt, and he became exceedingly strong. So during his time as king, he uh, spread uh, his power to even as close as Egypt, which again, the people were there for 400 plus years, so there's no doubt. We're talking about, at least previously, lots of dark-skinned people, even though you wouldn't think that when you think of Israel in modern times, considering what's going on and has been going on for so long, shamefully, between the people who live there now, even though they're actually relatives, since both... The, claim to have Abraham as predecessors. It's it's, un, it's sad. Uh, well, it, it is what it is. Verse 8. Also, Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. Uh, so, 
that some of the more of the people of the Ammonites also, speaking of them, are also relatives of the Israelites because we read about them. And they exist in modern times also around in the country of Ammon, right there around Jordan. And we read about their history and the at least according to the Bible, the incestuous incestuous history they have of of the sin of the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Somehow the sin of that whole episode is homosexuality and yet the most outrageous things that happen um, is that drunkenness, incest, and impregnating not one but two of his daughters happen. And yet there's not even a peak, <laughs> at least according to what we read there from God about any of that. That's the history of the country of and the people mentioned here of Amman, um, at least according to the Bible. Um, but during this time, he had a strong kingdom. Um, Verse 9, and Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress of the wall, then he fortified them. So some of the other things that he did as king were construction projects and building walls, go figure, just like the southern border here in America. Money's thrown at that supposedly to build the wall, and yet the money ends up in people's pockets and the wall never gets built, as if even a wall is a good idea in a way, as a way of keeping people out instead of welcoming, welcoming people in. And it's in, in useful, helpful ways instead of exploiting them. It's crazy. Verse 10, excuse me. Also, he built towers in the desert. He dug many wells. For he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers in buying dresses in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. So, so many other things he did were agricultural uh, during his uh, reign as king. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies, according to the number on your roll as prepared by G.L., the scribe and Masia, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. So those are some of the names of the people who were in power at the time during his reign as king and some of the things that they did um, as far as war. Because remember, warmongering is not really about, in, in modern times in America, it's, they say it's about freedom and so forth. It's really about um, money. It's a way of making money and funneling money as if there's all, not enough money already in the pockets of the people manipulating the wars. Um, you see, there's nothing new. Verse 12, the total number of chief, and that's not exclusive to America, excuse me. Verse 12, the total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. So some of the soldiers, uh, 2,600. Verse 13, I'm sorry, the number of the soldiers, 2,613, and under their authority was an army of 307,000 men, 307, why am I seeing seven? And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that were made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. So he had plenty of people at his command. Verse 14, then Uzziah prepared for them 
for the entire army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. So that's the military power that he's building up. Verse 15, And he made devices in Jerusalem and invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So it seemed he went along prospering, and it says once he very, very prosperous and got strong, it seems it's foreshadowing a change. Verse 16, but he was strong, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So, again, we've talked about and seen, not just talked about it, we've read about the different things that seem to set God off. And the things that set God off aren't the things that in modern times people were set off by, like uh, child abuse, you know, child molestation, exploitation, um, physical abuse. Uh, people were turned off by those things, murder, massacres, um, all those sorts of hateful, evil things. That's what turns people off in modern times. We've read about those things, um, rapes. We've, those things happen in, routinely throughout around the world, and people consider them outrageous. They don't even get a peek from God when we read about them again and again um, in the scriptures. So, uh, do you really believe everything in the Bible is true and real? Can things change that much that those sort of things just happen and there doesn't seem to be any problem from it, mention of it, um, as it being the real issue from even God in the Bible? And they, I say that because, remember, the red letters, the things Jesus says, very different from everything else in the Bible. So let's keep that in mind as we keep reading. Verse 16. When he was strong in his heart, oh, something that he did was that was so wrong was he was burning incense. Sorry, got distracted. The big thing that set God off is that he burned incense to God. That was the thing he was trying to do. God here, as we're as I think of it, as as I think of God here, and when they say Lord, is being translated from the word or name Jehovah, or Jehovah, however it's properly, respectfully pronounced. That's who it's referring to, even though it says Lord in English. So that's who um, the narrator here is saying he was offended, was so offended by his actions, and his actions were burning incense. That was what was so offensive. So what happens because he burned incense? Verse 7, so Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. So, because he's burning incense, there's 81 people going in there, rushing in, to stop him from burning incense to God. Valiant men, so it means they're warriors, it's, you know, soldiers. Verse 18, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, were consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you've trespassed. You shall not 
you shall have no honor from the Lord God. So the big offense that's caused all these people, brave-hearted men, to rush in and stop him from proceeding to do is that he's burning incense. He's not trying to blow the place up. He's not having sex in it. He's not doing anything that you would think of in modern times as outrageous. He's burning incense. And that's what's caused all of those priests to rush in and stop him. And they're saying it's because, and it is, if you're believing them, everything in the Bible, it is because only certain people are supposed to burn incense to the deity that they're worshiping at this point. And I say that because we've read about the many different entities, deities that the people worship. And then we know in modern times, the deity, the entity, I guess it's not really an entity, the thing that people deify is money. That's what people call their God in modern times. Um, it doesn't seem to be enough money, even if they're billionaires or multi-billionaires, it's still not enough money for them. Verse 19, Uzziah became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead. The court of priests in the house of the Lord beside the, the incense altar. Because he's burning incense, his huge offense has really ticked God off, and he's broken out with a skin disease. That's what leprosy is. It's more than that. It's just a disease that you can see on your skin also. It's a whole lot more than that. It can be many different things. It can take lots of different forms, including open sores, physical deformities, all sorts of different things. It can take the appearance of it, all under the umbrella of, of leprosy. Um, that's what he broke out with because he's burning incense to the, the deity, because he's burning incense to God, um, and he's not one that's supposed to. Only certain people, like it says, the descendants of Aaron, the priests, are supposed to do that duty in the religious ceremony. Now, how does that stand true with modern Christians who bump a Bible and burn incense? Are they descendants of Aaron? <laughs> Do they know? Verse 20, And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And there, on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out, because the Lord had struck him. So it became that apparent from him, physically apparent, that he broke out with the disease of leprosy. And we read about it before. It's the disease that religiously, you have to socially distance for it, what we call socially distance. Um, you have to be separated from the rest of society for it if you're a leper. Um, and by law, you have to declare that you're a leper when you enter public space spaces. Um, I guess in modern times, you'd have to wear a t-shirt or a banner or something like a mask to show that something about you is concerned with safety. In his case, he has to go into um, wherever he goes now, and everybody's going to know he has it because he's the king. He, his big offense was burning incense, and because he's burning incense, he's broken out with that skin disease. And not only can people see it on him, on his forehead, so whoever he meets can see it on his face, um, he has to say, uh, by law, he has to shout out that he's a leper loud and clear so that people know to stay back. He has to socially distance by it legally. It's, it'd be a sin to him. He'd have, he can't do it. People wouldn't have it. Um, 
So that's where he is now because he burned incense. That's God's response and outrage to him burning incense. And yet we've read about all those other atrocities, including what's happened to slave pe enslaved people like Dunkey himself again. And nothing. Verse 22, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. So the narrator is letting us know another place we can read about Uzziah and what happened to him, the fact that he uh, uh, had what we call think of as instant karma, even though karma uh, in the big picture of things can't happen in your life now, it happens once you pass away. You face karma. You uh, reap what you sow then. As a Christian, I believe you reap what you sow right here and now, and if you don't repent and realize you're wrong in the things you're doing, you're going to reap it here and now, and when you pass away, you die, you're going to burn in hell, <laughs> realize it, and you're going to realize it then that you have to reap what you sow, and that you're going to have to um, admit when you're wrong, and that's what repentance is all about, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's the golden rule. Uh, next to loving God, obviously. Um, so love God, seek God, seek righteousness. That's number one. And number two, and that's with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And with all your thought, with all your desire, with all your um, effort, and um, with all your um, desire, seek God. That's um, number one. Love God. To think of what God would think of what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're saying, what you're um, up to. Think of that first. That's number one. And um, Number two is love your neighbor as yourself. That means literally think, would you want what you're going to do, what you're going to say to be done to you? Would you want to be the other? Would you want to be mistreated? Would you want to wait um, decades, centuries for reparations as a descendant of people who are uh, trapped who were first trafficked, then trapped, then exploited, beaten, terrorized and raped, families broken up, murdered, chased, killed systematically, legally, set up that way, historically. I'm not making it up. You can look all of that up um, and see, would you want that done to you? If you'd say yes, if you'd want someone to kneel on your neck, if you get uh, encounter them and you think that's okay, then... Well, number one, that should be done to you. Obviously, you think it's okay. And uh, uh, number two, you know that's not right. You can expect that to happen to you. And if you won't admit it now, you'll admit it as you crisp up uh, in the flames is what is being said. Uh, Amos is another book that we haven't gotten to yet. It's in Among the Prophets. It's one of the minor, so-called minor prophets. One of the shorter books of the Bibles of the prophets and what they said. And remember... The Bible itself is a singular book, but it is also, so it's one, true that it's a singular book, but number two, it's also true that there are multiple versions of it, multiple translations of it, not just one or two, and historically, even now, what people call Christianity is historically different. Some people think from Genesis to Revelations, what you're supposed to live by and do, even though we've read examples of it, you can't. It's just not true. You cannot literally do what it tells you to do as far as the different things, of whether it's when you're on your period or whether when you masturbate, when you ejaculate, you cannot literally do all those things. Also, the food laws, 
all those Old Testament things and the New Testament things. You cannot do them because some of them contradict each other, whether it's turn the other cheek or eye for an eye. Do you uh, have somebody slap the ish out of you and then just let them and turn the other cheek as Jesus would tell you to do? Or do you turn around and do the same thing to do and try to put them six feet under? Which one would you actually do? Which one do you actually believe in? They're both in the Bible. People can tell you there's no contradictions in the Bible. There's a, at least 10. We read about them. You can read them with me. We read them before. Uh, verse 23. So anyway, um, it's 83 Amos. God willing, we get to the point when we get to the minor prophets and the major ones. It's incredibly interesting reading. If the timeline of them is set up truly and accurately, we can research them as we go through them. God willing, we get to them and see uh, whether at the timeline when they said what they said and what they said what they said came true. And some of them, they'll probably say such. But remember, the Bible is more true that it's one singular book. I got sidetracked. The Bible is true that the Bible is one singular book, but it's also true that the Bible is multiple books inside that book. As we read, as we said again and again, it's 60 plus books, whether it's the book of Ruth in the Old Testament or the book of Luke in the New Testament. They're both singular books of people who existed at those times, of said to be books of people who existed at those times, whether those people wrote the information in them or that information in them was written about them. That's who they are at two different times, two different sources compiled singularly into one book, the Bible. So it's true that it's one singular book and it's also true that it's 60 plus books and all those books don't necessarily agree. As Christians, what we do is look to what Jesus says. That's what I believe we should do. Look to what Jesus, who's called Christ himself, the anointed one, says to do. Those red letters. Those red letters themselves, the things Jesus told was sent to bring us and tell us, exist in only six of those 60 plus books. In those multiple books, 60 plus books, I say 60 plus because the one we read may have 65, 66 but international versions of them have many, many more than that. Other versions of them have less books than that. The only ones that have anything that are red letters, red letters are quotes of Jesus exist in just those six books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, and Revelation. You can read red letters there. Excuse me. As so-called red-letter Christians, I think that's what we have to do. Make sure we do what Jesus tells us to do. What Jesus' mission was, is bring us those red letters, lift those red letters, embrace those red letters, and not necessarily throw out the rest of us, but make sure we put them in their lane and know what they, where they belong in our thinking big picture of what things mean and what truth is. Verse 20, I spent that much time on that because I know this was the last verse. 20, verse 23. So Isaiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings. For they said, he's a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So even if, not only in his life did he have to socially distance, but even in his death, he was isolated. He couldn't be buried in what's um, the... Um, tombs of the kings, his forefathers, David, Solomon, and so forth. He had to be even separated then, not just in his life, but even in his death. And the, um, the, uh, what's alluded to 
is that it's in he's paying for the fact that he trespassed and burning incense. He had to pay that big price for that. Not for any of those other atrocious things, but for burning incense. That's what happened to him. That's the story of Uzziah. That's how he ended up after starting out so good. But that's the last, last of this um, chapter's last story where we'll end this reading. Appreciate you reading with me. Love you for it. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you today. I last, oh, the thing I was going to mention before. So I saw someone from Young Turks, one of the um, main hosts, um, uh, the producer. Um, she was running for president. God bless her. Hopefully makes a difference. Whether it wins or not, hopefully makes a difference. Peace. Love you. See you next time. Peace be with you. By the way, I don't know if you know, but I saw an interesting figure the other day that one singular plane, an F-25, I think it was, cost the United States $1.4 trillion. One singular plane. They could wipe out, with just nine of those planes, could in wipe out entirely the wealth gap and the reparations of what are owed to uh, descendants of enslaved people with just nine planes. They could do that. That's incredible. Um, incredible. By the way, also, you can read the 10 things that I find that are clear contradictions in what the Bible says. If you just read it yourself, you can read it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. I changed the name of the video itself uh, regularly, but it's the last video that I did for the podcast. Um, um, but I'll rename it now. Uh, you'll see it. Um, and it's short, uh, less than 30 minutes. I'm calling it, what does Jesus say? You know, people usually say, what would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Let's see. It takes us to 